We're going to be continuing our series on building resilient faith. And this is something that we started talking about a couple of weeks ago with some staggering statistics of the number of people who are, are not really what we would call a resilient disciple. It's only about 10% of the people that are Christians that are really a resilient disciple in the way that God would want us to be. And the reason that we launched into this series is because we want to see that 10% expand to 20% and 30% and 40% and you get the idea. And just to see this continue to grow as we continue to grow in our faith and our relationships to Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to continue to unpack a little bit this morning. You probably noticed if you were with us last week that last week we also talked about this experiencing intimacy with Christ, but there is so much here to unpack. We're going to continue on that same theme here this morning. So let's jump in and just remind ourselves about the definition that we talked about last week, and that's experiencing Jesus means clearing religious and other clutter for closeness and joy in Christ. So again, don't, don't get hung up on that intimacy word. That simply means that close, deep, heartfelt, committed relationship. And don't, don't worry about that experience word because that can scare some people off as well. But, but this is we're just talking about having that true relationship with Jesus Christ that goes beyond going to church on Sunday mornings or praying for your meals. Not that those aren't important, but we're looking at how do we move past that to truly have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to continue to unpack here this morning. So the objective for today because I like to just lay it out there. Here's what I want you to get from today, and that is, we want to get you to stop believing that anything on this earth will bring you more pleasure than knowing Jesus intimately. And we're going to unpack that as we go along here today, and we're going to, we're going to look at some examples from the Bible, and we're going to look at, at, some, at some really cool scripture from the book of Psalms, but, but this is what it all comes down to. Nothing here on earth can match having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's dig in. So you may be saying, yes, that's all good and great, but what about the fact that I'm hurting or the fact that I'm in pain or the fact that I'm going through some tough times or the fact that I'm dealing with temptations in my life or I'm dealing with sin in my life? But I want you to just think about for a few minutes here this morning, I want you to think about what would happen to these other things that I have going on in my life if I truly had an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I want to challenge you to think about that. And I'm not downplaying those things, and I'm not saying that you may not be going through some difficult times. I know especially right now a lot of us are going through difficult times, and we're struggling with, with the things that are going on in the world around us, and we're struggling with the fact that maybe we can't go and do what we want to do. And we're struggling with the fact that we can't go the places we want to go and see the people that we want to see. But what better time to stop and think about our relationship with Jesus Christ? Because see, we talked about clearing out the clutter. Well, Jesus has kind of done that for us right now, right? We don't have sports, which is killing me. We don't have movies to go to. We, we can't go and do the things that we want to do. We can't go out to eat. We can't do some of these things. He's helping to clear the clutter to make way for this intimate relationship that we can have with him. It's far better to be in trials and difficult times with Jesus to have all of the wealth and the health and the comfort without him. So see, again, we're not downplaying those hurtful things that you may be dealing with or the pain that you may be experiencing 
but isn't it better to experience those things and have Jesus in your life than it is to be going through those things alone or to not have that hope or to not have that relationship that we find only in Jesus Christ? So that's what I want us to really take some time to focus on here this morning. So let's look at some examples. Let's look at some examples of people in the Bible who had this intimate, close relationship with Jesus Christ that we all would love to have and that we all want to have in our lives and that he so desperately wants to have with us. And the first one we're going to look at is Adam and Eve. Let's think back to the original creation story when God created Adam. We know that he took the dust and he, he brought it together and he breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. Let's think about that for just a minute. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like when Adam rose into existence as a human being and saw God for the first time? What must that have been like for Adam and for God to have that intimate connection, that immediate connection where God says, hello, Adam, you are loved. I created you out of my love for you. And let's fast forward just a little bit to Adam and Eve. Now, they got to walk in the garden with God. Think about that relationship that they got to have before sin came into the world where they literally got to walk in the garden with God. What must that have been like to literally walk and talk with God and have that one-on-one -on -one relationship? And unfortunately, this side of heaven, we can't have that relationship, but they certainly did. Let's look at Abraham. What about Abraham? Abraham was called the friend of God. What a great title that must have been. Wouldn't you love to have that title? Where they say, hey, there's John, he's the friend of God. Or hey, there's Ben, he's the friend of God. What an amazing title that must have been. And we know that, that Abraham had this relationship with God that when God said, Abraham, go until I tell you to stop, Abraham picked up and he went until Jesus told him to stop. And when Jesus said stop, Abraham said, no problem, I got it. And he stopped and he did exactly what God wanted him to do. But he was the friend of God. Let's look at Moses. Moses got to be in the presence of God. He got to go up to the top of the mountain to be in the presence of God when God says, Moses, here's the promised land. Here's the land that I promised you. And then if you follow that story out a little bit closer, I'd encourage you to take a look at it when you can. God says, Moses, there's the promised land that I'm going to send you to, but I'm not going to go with you. I'm sending you to that promised land. And what did Moses say? Moses said, God, if you're not going to be there, I don't want to go. I understand it's the land of milk and honey. It's the promised land that we've been working towards. But if you're not going to be there, I don't want to go there because I want to be in relationship with you. How powerful is that? That Moses would have rather had that relationship with God than to have this promised land of milk and honey and have all the things that he'd been thinking about and dreaming about. Let's look at David. David was known as a man after God's heart. What an amazing description that would be if at the end of our lives and that time comes that, that we get ready to go on to heaven and somebody says, that Robert, he was a man after God's own heart. How powerful and amazing would that have been? And when we look at David's writing in the Psalms, his passion for Jesus was almost that of like an addict. If you've ever known someone who's addicted to drugs or to alcohol and they just, they have to have it. That's how Adam felt about his relationship with God. He had to have it. 
He didn't just want it. He had to have it. And then last but not least, let's look at Paul. And Paul lived such an amazing life, and I love the story of Paul so much because we know that, that he went from a life of persecuting Christians to being a man who spread the gospel throughout the world or the modern world at that time. And he said, to live is Christ and to die as gain. He was basically telling us that his relationship with Jesus Christ was the most important thing in the world and he was going to live for Jesus every day. And then one day when he dies, he's going to gain the gift of heaven. Now, these are just a few examples. Of course, we could, we could spend all day looking at examples of people that had relationships, but I think these are some fundamental relationships that we can kind of look at and try and model ourselves after and have that relationship that these folks had so long ago. Let's look at some statistics. As you know, we've been looking at statistics as we go through this, this whole thing. And the reason that we, we look at this is because of this Barna research that we've been looking at. And I know this may be a little bit small depending on the device that you're on. Uh, if you want it, I'm happy to email it to you if you'd like to take a closer look at this. Uh, otherwise, you can find it by Googling the Barna research. But, but I want to point out some things here to you. Now, remember, the prodigals do not consider themselves Christians anymore, but the other three do. The other three consider themselves Christians. And look at the staggeringly low numbers of some of these statistics. If we even look at the 10%, and that's the people who consider themselves resilient disciples, even some of these numbers are on the low side. But when we look at things such as the first one, which is that worship is a lifestyle, we see prodigals at 20%, we see nomads at 33%, Habitual church goers are still only at 50%. But then we see 81% when we get over to the resilient disciples. And you can take some time and you can always go back and, and look at the live stream again and freeze on this if you'd like. And you can look at some of these other things. But look at reading the Bible makes me feel closer to God. Habitual churchgoers are at 44%. But when we move over into that resilient disciples category, we're hitting 87%. Let's look all the way to the bottom. When we look all the way at the bottom, it says, prayer does not feel like a formal routine, but a vibrant part of my life. Look all the way to the right. Even in the resilient disciples, we're only at 64%. And this is what it's all about. This is that prayer life. This is that relationship that we have with Jesus. All right, I won't kill you with any more statistics, but I want to look at about half of habitual churchgoers strongly agree with these pretty straightforward statements. They show up week after week, year after year, without fully believing and experiencing Jesus. And this is exactly what we're talking about is how do we go from that habitual churchgoer who only is about 50% over into that resilient disciple where we see those numbers jumping up for the most part into the 80% range. And that's exactly what we're talking about. And that's why we're in this series is because if we're not in that 10%, we want to get to that 10%. And again, we want to make that 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, and you get the idea. So here's what we need to do. We need to stop focusing on what we don't have and start focusing on what we do have. Now, advertisers do a great job of this, right? They convince us of all the things we don't have and why we need to have them. Because we need to have that brand new car. 
and we need to have a bigger house, and we need to have the latest and greatest of this and that, and we need to have this and we need to have that. Because they want you to focus on what you don't have. That's their job. Their job is marketing. They want to convince you that you need to have that brand new car because your life won't be complete without it. But I want to argue we need to stop thinking about the things we don't have and think about the things we do have. I may not have a new car, but I have a car and it gets me to work and back. And it helps me take the kids to school and back. And it gets me where I need to be. And I need to just be content with the things that I have. But it's so hard, right? Because we want so much. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to want, but that shouldn't be where our focus is because we have a relationship with the creator of the universe and he wants to have a relationship with you and he provides for your every need. Have you ever heard the term outkick the coverage? This is kind of one of those funny things and if you're a sports addict like me, you probably know what this means, but outkicking the coverage simply means you basically outdid yourself. This happens to me all the time. When people look at me and they look at my wife, they say, wow, you really outkicked the coverage on that one. How does that even make sense that you are with her? Because my wife is beautiful and she's intelligent and she's an amazing woman. And they say, wow, you really outkicked your coverage. I want to argue that we've all outkicked our coverage when it comes to our relationship with God because we certainly don't deserve it. We certainly shouldn't have it, but we do because he loves us so very much. Think about all of the things that we've done. I think about the things that I've done in my own life and the mistakes that I've made, and yet he still loves me and still wants to have relationship with me. I don't deserve it. I've outkicked the coverage. I don't deserve that relationship with him but I have it, and I have it because of his love for me. I want to focus just for a second on John 3.16, and this is probably one of the most common Bible verses, and you probably all know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, so that those that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see this on the billboards and bumper stickers, and athletes write it on their wristbands and on their eye black, but, but I want to think for just a second, has it lost its meaning for us? Because see, when I talk about outkicking the coverage, God loves me so much that he would rather see his son suffer and die for me than to lose the relationship with me that he could have. You see, John 3.16 has almost become cliché. It's probably one of the first verses that you memorize. It's probably a verse that you've taught your kids. It's probably a verse that you can quote from multiple different versions of the Bible. And that's great. But has it, have we been so inundated with it that we've forgotten how powerful that verse truly is? God loved us so much and so desperately wanted to have a relationship with us that he was willing to sacrifice his own son to be brutally murdered for you and for me. You see, when we were baptized into Christ, when we put on Christ in baptism, when we turned from our old lives and started a new life in Jesus Christ, we probably never felt closer to Jesus than we did that day. Because you felt something in your heart that said, I need to make a change and I want to devote my life to following Christ. 
And you know, I, I've had the, the honor of baptizing people, and I've had the pleasure of talking to a lot of people right after they were baptized. And man, they are just on fire for Jesus. And they love Jesus, and they want to do everything they can for Jesus, and they want to have a relationship with Jesus. But what happens 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Do we lose that fire that we had for Jesus Christ? Does it start to wane a little bit and all of a sudden we start to forget about all the things that he's done for us and we forget about the things that we have? Because having a relationship with Christ is about a truly transformational experience. And we're transformed at the day that we're baptized, but we got to keep that going as we move forward because of his love for us and because of the desire that he has to have a relationship with us. The creator of the universe truly desires to have a relationship with you and was willing to send his own son for you. So let's not let John 3.16 become a bumper sticker or a billboard. Let's remember what that scripture means to you and to me. And let's remember it every day. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 73. And in Psalm chapter 73, we see a very powerful piece of Scripture that we're going to walk through, and we're going to look at some things here. And this, this is all about a relationship with God. So we're going to start in Psalms chapter 73. We're going to start in verse 1. And it says, the psalmist says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. It says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. It starts off saying, Surely God is good. So the psalmist here, he knows that God is good. And you know that God is good. And I know that God is good. But just like what the psalmist is saying, is sometimes we slip. Because we let all these other things get inside of our heads that we got to have this and we've got to have that. And we see in these first three verses alone, it says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Sometimes good things happen to bad people, right? We see people who lie and cheat and steal and they get ahead in this life. And they have the big house and they have the fancy cars. And they have the things that sometimes we get wrapped up in thinking that we need to have. And it can be hard, right? It can be hard to see people who are not following God's plan, but we see them and they seem to be prospering. Now, in this particular verse, in, in verse 3, where it says prosperity, if you actually translate this back to the original language, it's actually shalom, which means peace. See, sometimes we don't have peace in our own lives, even though we're doing our best to follow God. And we see people who are not following God that have this peace and they have this prosperity. And it's easy for us to lose track of the very first thing the psalmist said, where he said, surely God is good. See, that's the part that we have to focus on. Let's jump ahead to, chat, to verse 4. It says, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. 
It says, they are free from common human burden. They are not plagued by human ills. It says, therefore, excuse me, therefore pride is their necklace, and they close themselves with violence. Doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Doesn't it feel like sometimes you're just doing everything that you can to follow God, and yet you're stressed, and you're tired, and you're overworked, and you're worried about how you're going to put food on the table. But then you see people who are not following God, and they don't seem to have a care in the world. They don't have these burdens that you feel like that you have. Because again, instead of focusing on what we have and our relationship, we're looking at what somebody else has. And then remember, we talked about last week that everybody experiences Jesus differently. And they may be prospering here on earth, but we know that we're not here to prosper here on earth. See, it's not about the short game for us. We may never have a big house. We may never have a brand new car. We may never have a big fat bank account. But it doesn't matter to us because that's not what we're going for. That's not what we're going for. We're going for the long game. We're going for that relationship that leads to an everlasting life and a mansion on a street paved in gold. That's what it's all about. Let's go ahead and, and move forward with, chat, with verse, uh, excuse me, verse 7. It says, From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they, they threaten oppression. It says, Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. So again, this is just continuing that thought of seeing the way other people act and the things that they may be getting here on earth. So that, see, this is the psalmist, and he's wrestling with this idea of, I know that God is good, but why, if that's the case, are the wicked prospering? Verse 10, therefore, it says, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. It says, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Now, we know as believers that the Most High knows everything right? But again, this is the psalmist who's wrestling with these ideas and these concepts. And this is quite frankly why a lot of people don't believe in God or don't believe that God is who he says he is, because why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to bad people? But remember, that's here on earth. That's the short term. That's not the long term. We're looking at the long term. It says, they mock him and nothing. And we look at verse 12, it says, This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Again, we see that the wicked prosper here on earth. And the psalmist is wrestling back and forth with this. Like, God, I, he's talking to God and he's saying, I just don't understand why are the wicked prospering and I'm not. Let's pick up verse 13. The psalmist is thinking, this is, this is nuts. This is not the way this is supposed to work. And he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. 
It says, all day long, I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. So, so here's the psalmist kind of feeling sorry for himself. And he's saying, I've kept my heart pure and I've done my best to do what you would have me to do. But yet day after day after day after day, I struggle. Have you been there? I have. Have you been there? Where you feel like no matter how much you're trying to follow God, you're just not seeing the answers to the prayers that you're praying or you're not getting the things that you feel like you need or that you want? That's exactly what the psalmist is going through. And I love these stories in the Bible so much because they're so relatable where we kind of go back and forth or when things are going great, we're super close to God. We talked about this last week. We talked about the holy handouts. When I'm getting what I need from God, things are great. But what about when we're not getting the things from God that we want? And that's exactly what the psalmist is struggling with. Let's pick up verse 15. It was aggravating until. It says, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. It says, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. I love this verse, right? Because this is the aha moment. This is the, I was really getting frustrated, God, at all of the things that are going on until I got close enough to you to understand your plan for my life. And now I get it. The light bulb has turned on. I get it now. Yes, those people may be winning here on earth, but they're not going to win in the end. And yeah, I may feel like I'm not winning here, but I'm going to win in the end. I love what he says in verse 15, and I know we're backing up a couple of verses. It says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. It's okay to wrestle with God. I think we've all done it at some point or another in our lives. We have wrestled with God. God, I don't understand. God, I'm doing everything you've asked me to do and I'm still not getting what I want. I don't understand. God, I didn't get the job that I thought I needed. God, I just don't, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. Why are you letting these things happen to me? It's okay to wrestle with God. It's when we go out and broadcast that and cause others to stumble is where we get ourselves in trouble. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to question. It's okay to think that God's not there from time to time because we're going to feel that way, right? When we talked last week and sometimes we just don't feel close to God. But when we go out and start broadcasting that and start preaching that to others, that God doesn't help us when we're in need and that God's not there for us and that God doesn't love us, that's where we get in trouble. And that's exactly what the psalmist says. If I had spoken that like that, but he didn't. See, this is him talking to God. And that's okay. We all do it. We, I've been there. I've been there. I've argued with God. And said, God, I don't understand. Why did this happen? Why didn't that happen? Why did you let this happen to my friend? Why did you let this happen to my family? But we don't go out and tell the world, God's not there. God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. Because that is not the case. If God didn't love us, he would not have sent his son to die for us. So it's okay to wrestle with God. But we keep that between us and God. Because we don't want to cause someone else to stumble because we're telling them that God's not here or God's not listening. Let's go ahead and move on to verse 18. As we can continue this thought, it says, Surely your place then, you place them, excuse me, on slippery ground. 
It says, you cast them down to ruin. It says, how suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept by terror. It says, they are like a dream when one awakes. It says, when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So again, he's continuing this thought. We had this aha moment where he goes, once I looked at it from God's perspective, I get it. And now he's processing this. He's saying, I get it now, God. They may be doing well here on earth, but in the end, in the end, they're not going to win. We are. And I love that so much. So let's go ahead and jump ahead to verse 21. It says, Where my, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, it says, I was senseless and ignorant. It says, I was a brute beast before you. It says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. We're reminded that even when we're wrestling with God, and even when we're questioning the things that are happening in our lives, and we don't feel like we have that close relationship with Him, He is always there, and He holds us by the hand. Just like maybe when you were little and your father walked next to you and he held your hand when you were scared or your mother held, held your hand when she walked next to you. See, this is another aha moment where the psalmist says, look, God, even though you'd have had every right to, even though I was probably asking you to in my mind, you didn't walk away. Instead, you drew closer to me and you held my hand. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son, right? When he left his father and he went and he said, give me my money and I'm going to go do my own thing. And he did just that. He took his share of his inheritance and he walked away. And his father would have had every right to be bitter and to say, you know what? Don't bother coming back. But he didn't. He ran to him and he hugged him. And that's exactly what we're talking about is God doesn't leave us because of the relationship that we have with him. He's there all along. And even when we don't know it and we can't feel it, he's there and he's holding your hand despite your circumstances. Let's continue in verse 24 to 26. It says, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing that I desire besides you. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Earth has nothing that I desire besides you. See, that's what a relationship is all about. It's saying, if I have you, Jesus, I don't need anything else. I don't need all of these other things. I don't need any of this clutter in my life. I need you. And that's what it's all about. And we have to get to a place in our lives where we can truly say, I just need you, Jesus. I don't need all this other stuff. If we continue with our reading, it says, those who are far from you will perish. 
It says, you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. It says, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all your deeds. I love that first part of verse 28. It says, but as for me, it is good to be near God. We talked about earlier. Would you rather go through the things that we go through here on this life on your own or would you rather go through them with Jesus? Because you can, but you have to have that relationship with him and you have to build that intimacy with him. And that's what he wants. But I love this so much. But as for me, it's good to be near God. That's what it's all about. The psalmist gets it. And he went through his struggles just like we do. And as you read through the 73rd Psalm, he, he kind of goes back and forth, right? Between, uh, God, why are all these other people getting everything that I want? And it's just not fair. And when, 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 pity me until he gets to the end. And he goes, ah, I get it now. I get it. It's good to be near God. So here's some things to ponder. Others may have health, wealth, and youth. But can we truly look at those things and say, who cares? I'll never be rich. I've chosen a career path that's not going to lead me to riches. Let's just be honest. I'm I'm never going to be there. I'm never going to have a mansion here on earth. But I have to learn to be okay with that and just say, who cares? Because do I really need that? No. I have to be content and to be happy because I may not have that, but I've got Jesus Christ. And that has to be enough. Are we still chasing those things? Are we able to say, Jesus, you are enough for me? Can we have both? You might be asking that question. Well, can't I have both? If you're asking that question, you may have missed the whole point. I love the 23rd Psalm. And I love the way it starts. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because I've already read enough to you. But I'm not going to read the whole thing. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That doesn't mean we don't want the Lord as our shepherd. It means that when the Lord is truly our shepherd, when we truly have a relationship with him, we will want for nothing. If you continue down a little bit further, it says, He leaves me besides the still water. See, He takes us to the places we need to go. Still waters, because sheep like to drink from still water. He takes us where we need to go when we're in relationship with Him. It says, His rod and His staff, they comfort me. See, He comforts us because we know that He loves us. And we know that he's got so much more in store for us one day than what we have today. And we find comfort and peace, that shalom that we talked about earlier in that fact. Are we there yet? I don't know. Am I there yet? No. I I think it's always something that we're working on and we're working towards. Relationships take work. If you're not married yet, write that down. (laughs) Relationships take 
work and they're ever changing and they're ever evolving. So we may not be where we want to be yet, but we need to get there and we need to work towards that. And you say, yeah, that's easy to say, but how do we do it? Well, let's look at that real quick before we wrap up here. Let's go to Deuteronomy. I know, not someplace we go very often. Deuteronomy chapter 30 in verse 6. It says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. There's the answer to how do we get there. God changes our heart. He can, wants to, and will change our hearts. So how do we get there? We pray and we ask God, show me the way to have a more intimate relationship with you. Or maybe I already have an intimate relationship with you and our prayer is, God, help me continue to know you better. Help me continue to draw close to you. Help me to continue to remember that you are in control and that you love me and that you have so much more for me than what we have here on this earth. So how do we get there? How do we get to that relationship if we're not there? We pray and we ask God, the God that created the universe, and he can do amazing things in our lives, but we got to clear out the clutter and we got to focus on him and we got to ask him for what we need and what we need is that closer relationship if we don't have it. In just a moment, we're going to have another song for you. And you'll have an opportunity if you need to. There's a place on our app, or you can always email us as well. But if you have a prayer request that we can help you with, maybe you don't have the relationship with God that you want to have. Or maybe you had it, and like the prodigal, you've walked away from it, and you want that back. Myself and the eldership, we are definitely here to help you. Or maybe you haven't made that initial step of baptism where you can truly put away your old self and lean in towards your new relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to be baptized for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, please feel free to reach out and we'll be more than happy. We'll have us a social distancing baptism. We'll make it work, but there's no reason not to fix your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to do that as we sing this next song.
Well, what a perfect song to put a bow on exactly what we've been talking about today, that even when he gives and takes away, we choose to say that blessed be his name. Thank you so much for joining us today on our live stream here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. Wherever you may be, we are very blessed by your presence. And just want to remind you that this week we'll have some special things going on for the National Day of Prayer, which I believe is on Thursday. And we will have, uh, we've set up a prayer wall that you'll be able to take advantage of. It's kind of a cool thing. We'll be able to go out there to place any prayer requests that you may have. And then you're also able to comment on the prayer requests so that we can be there to uplift and to support one another. Also, we'll have some live prayer sessions going on on Thursday. I believe we're going to have three of those sessions you'll be able to join in on. And as we nail down those times and who will be hosting those sessions, we will certainly get that out to you by email. So please keep an eye on your email between now and Thursday. Again, thank you so much for joining us and let's close out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us, and we thank you so much that despite the circumstances, we can still come together and to truly focus on you for this time. We know that even though the doors to the building may be closed, that we are still here as a church family, and we are still together, and we will still continue to find ways to glorify your name. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us, and we thank you that you want to have that intimate relationship with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the things that you do for us. We thank you for all that you have blessed us with. And we thank you for sending your son. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Again, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. My life's in you.